this morning. Let me invite your attention to James chapter 2. Nuts and bolts, the haves and the have-nots. Ann's and I were in Phoenix, Arizona a number of years ago, and we went on a Sunday morning to a church service, one of the larger churches in Phoenix. And they were talking about a story that one morning there was a homeless guy in the parking lot, and as people were coming in, he was wandering around the parking lot, and then when the service started, he came and he sat on the back row. And then the pastor that day stood up to talk about there was a guest preacher going to be with him that morning. And so as he was introducing and talking about the guest preacher, the homeless man who was on the back row, got up from his seat and started walking down the aisle, walking toward the platform, ultimately walked up on top of the platform. And the pastor said, I want to introduce to you our guest preacher for the day. And it was a homeless man. And so he started taking his outer clothing off because he had something underneath that. And he started his sermon talking about the way people had treated him that morning in the parking lot. And he said to this large congregation to say, as you came in the parking lot this morning, most of you ignored me. Most of you never made eye contact with me. And what a dramatic way to begin the service. What do you do on a Sunday when the haves and the have-nots show up together? You and I, we minister, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ in a world of extremes. For example, on one hand, there are political extremes. You've got people who are in political environments where we're free, but then you've got other people in political environments where they're in bondage. The good news in our nation, not many nations around the world can say this, but we live in a nation where we can pray for our nation, we can go to the polls and vote, and we can stand up and speak and for truth. Some people around the world can't do that, but there are political extremes. Uh, Then we also know there are financial extremes. We know there are people in our nation who lived in multi-million dollar homes. We know there are other people, even in our city, who maybe tried to live in a cardboard box last night just trying to stay warm and make it another day. We live in a world of extremes. There are personal extremes as well. There are probably people in this room and those watching. You will look at it and you say, I never thought life would be this good. And then there are other people maybe here watching who would say, I never thought life would be this bad. We serve in a world of extremes. And then there are spiritual extremes. There are people who would say, I just can't wait to come together to praise God because he's so good to me. And then there are other people honestly would say, I don't even sense the need to praise God because I don't even know if he cares about me or not. It's a world of extremes. James, an amazing practical teacher, is going to write about the world of extremes, even spiritual extremes and financial extremes, because you and I are serving Christ, reaching people in the world, again, political, financial, personal, spiritual extremes. So so I want you to take your outline and walk through this with me as we look at James chapter 2 and these verses following. And then I'm praying today, as you are, that God is going to speak to us. We're going to be victorious over favoritism, but we're also going to be victorious and find freedom as a result of our gathering today in worship. Look at number one, the possibility for Sunday favoritism. James, again, writing to a group of people. He's very practical. He's down to earth. You know what he's saying. And I want you to look at these two words I'm going to give you here in the beginning. One is hearers. Who is he writing to? 
Who's he communicating to? He says in the beginning, my brothers. He is writing to individuals who know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to individuals who have recognized their sin. They turned from their sin, put their trust in Christ, which we would understand as repentance. He's writing to the gathered church. The church is together, and he's got a word for his brothers in Christ. I want you to know today the Lord Jesus has a word for you and me. Child, student, adult, the Lord has a word for you. And I pray today that you're ready to listen to what God has to say into your life because he wants to speak to you, but he also wants to change your life. Second word is heart. When you look at James chapter two, you see his heart. He says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You need to know this. James's heart is concerned about the church. Is the church influencing the world or is the world influencing the church? And here James is writing to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, to gather church, and he's saying to them, you should show no partiality, favoritism. Why? Because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Your faith and my faith in Jesus Christ should make a difference in everyday issues of life and even how we relate to other people in life. Jesus should make a difference. And so when you look at this, you go on to find out what James is talking about. He's talking about the church being gathered together. He's going to, one, talk about a rich man. He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. And so he's talking about this rich man from outward appearance. He has everything the world would offer. He's got gold. He's got fine clothing. He's got everything together. And if he comes into your assembly, what are you going to do with him? Uh, years ago, Ange and I... Again, I was pastoring in northern Kentucky, and we were serving one night because we had one of our Sunday school connect groups ministering downtown Cincinnati at a homeless kitchen. And so Angie and I wanted to serve with them on a Monday night, so we go to the homeless kitchen. We get there, and as soon as we walk in, somebody comes up to me and said, and gives me his name. He was a wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals, said he is serving here tonight in the homeless kitchen as well. He had been caught and arrested for selling marijuana, and his lawyer said, if you go serve at this homeless kitchen, it'll make you look better in front of the judge. And so as I was in there getting to see all the people who were there, we were ministering to people, everyone in that homeless kitchen wanted his autograph and wanted a picture taken with him. And as I was there witnessing all this, the Holy Spirit just convicted me to say, wonder if he knows Jesus or not. And so I went up to him, never met the man in my life before, and I just said to him, I said, hey, it's great to meet you. I said, I pastored and told him the church where I pastored. I said, I'd be glad. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you. Would you be open to doing that? Had no idea how he would respond. We sat down at a table, and I talked to him about his family, about what he was doing in Cincinnati with the Bengals, those things like that. And then God opened the door that I could have a spiritual conversation with this talented wide receiver about knowing Christ and living faithful to Christ. And I said to this wide receiver, if I, if I said his name, you could Google it and you'd be able to see him on, on all sorts of social media realms. But I said to him, I said, you've got a platform in life I don't have. I said, when, when, when you walk into this room, everyone here wants your autograph and a picture with you. I walked in the room, there's not a single person has requested my autograph or a picture. 
And I said, if you will give your life to Jesus Christ, imagine how Almighty God would use you in your life. And he said, my grandmother must be praying for me right now. I said, you've got a wonderful grandmother if that's the case. I shared the gospel with him. He was very receptive. I prayed with him. And then we parted ways. But what do you do with people who seem in the world have everything in life? James was talking about this rich man who entered the assembly. Gold, fine clothing. He also gives a distinction. Here's the extreme again. And then he starts talking about this poor man. He said, here is a poor man who came in. Shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, so James is talking to the church, said, what are you going to do with these two individuals? On one hand, you say to the rich man, you sit here in the good seat. But then James said, but you say to the poor man, shabby clothing, looks like nothing from the world. You say to him, you stand over there in obscurity where we can't see you. Or you come and sit down on the floor at my feet. That's a good place for you. He said, don't show partiality. Don't show favoritism when you come together because the haves and the have-nots show up together. The possibility of Sunday favoritism. And so as you and I look at that, is it still possible that we could show favoritism in our day? And the answer is absolutely, yes. Let me give you these four words. How do we do that? One is appearance. We show favoritism. Someone's appearance looks like he or she has life together. Dress well, carries himself or herself well. So we show favoritism based on appearance. Secondly, on achievements. This person is very respected in our community. High positions, makes a difference, influential. We show favoritism by achievements. And then ancestry, we show favoritism because of who they're connected with, who they're kin to, where was this person born? And then we show favoritism by affection. We like the same things as this other person. And if you and I are not careful, we will show favoritism based on those things in life. It's based on the outward appearance, not the heart. Now, what I want you to realize, I want you to think back with me just for a moment. I'm going to turn back there. You may want to write it down. First Samuel chapter 16. They were looking for a king one day. And so Samuel's there and all the brothers come through. And with Jesse, and they're looking for a king, none of the brothers are there. And said, well, we've got a younger one. He's a shepherd boy. He's out in the field. Will you call him to come in? I want to see him. And David comes in, and what happens? Here's what the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Folks, I hope you and I get that when we gather on Sundays. We look at the outward appearance. We should never show partiality or favoritism because we look at the outward appearance. But the good news, God looks on the heart. And so when you look at David, people saw a shepherd boy. God saw a king in his life. You and I need to learn to look at the hearts of people because Jesus Christ gave his life for the haves but also for the have-nots. Jesus gave his life for every single one of us. The possibility of Sunday favoritism. Number two, the power of the Savior's favor. Now, as we look at this text, 
James is going to go on to say, it's possible that you could show favoritism, partiality in your gatherings together. But he's going to say, here's how you can have victory over that sin in your life. And so he's going to equip the believers back in those days. Again, he's writing to believers because he goes on to say, listen, my beloved brothers. Again, he's not writing to those who are outside of Christ. He's writing to those who know Jesus, who've repented of their sins, who could say they're going to spend eternity in heaven. He's writing to those who have trusted Jesus to be saved. Look at these two words. How do you have victory over that? Number one is remember. He's asking them to remember. He goes on to say, listen. So it's a call to remember, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? I want to ask you again for children, students, and adults in the room or watching, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? You can say that by words, but when you look at your life, when you look at the decisions, when you look at your behaviors, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? He says, those who love him, what do you need to remember? You need to remember how you were saved. You and I need to understand, none of us in this room, no one watching, we were not saved by good works or personal merit. You and I were saved because Jesus left heaven, came to this earth in Bethlehem, took on human flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, died on Calvary's cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. Jesus Christ is alive. You and I are saved because of God's amazing grace in life. We're saved because of Jesus, not because of anything that we've done whatsoever. And here's how amazing the grace of God is. When the haves and the have-nots show up together, here's how amazing and marvelous His grace is. You can live in a mansion. You can drive very expensive cars. You can have the finest clothes. You can have millions of dollars in the bank. You can live in a modest house. You can wear average clothes. You can drive nice cars. You can live in an African hut, no running water, no electricity. Or you can live in the garbage dumps of Egypt or India, and you and I come to the cross the same way. The ground is level at the cross. And that's what James is saying, that you've got to remember how you were saved. You were not saved because you were good or because you merited. You were saved because God and Jesus changed your life. He says, I want you to remember that. Don't forget that. So folks today, when the haves and have not show up, Jesus gave his life for every single person. You and I need to remember it is all because of the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God that we know Christ and we can say that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's Jesus. So he says, one, I want you to remember. Number two is reality. He's asking them to make sure you pour your heads out of the sand. Make sure you know what's going on around you. Why are there so many churches, even in our Southern Baptist Convention, that are declining and dying? Why is that the case? Here's why. They're unwilling to face reality. They're living with their heads in the sand. Here's what I mean by that. Attendance has been declining for years. Giving has been declining for years. They haven't had any baptisms in years, but they think everything is okay. They're unwilling to face reality. Somewhere you've got to pour your head out of the sand and say, why are we declining? Why aren't we reaching people? Why haven't we baptized somebody in years? What is going on in the midst? Face reality in the Christian life. 
So James is saying to them, when it comes to about those who are rich, he said, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's saying, make sure again, you don't show partiality or favoritism in the fellowship when you come together to worship Jesus. So there's the possibility of favoritism. But he also wants them to know, you need to know the Savior's favor because of his grace. He gave his life for you and died for you. Now look at number three, the peace of spiritual freedom. Folks, I'm praying here in the next number of minutes that God's going to do something in this worship service that the glory will go to him. He is the Lord of glory. That's what James says. And I pray over the next number of minutes, the Lord is going to move in the hearts and lives of people in this room or those watching. You'll come to Christ for the first time in your life. You'll say yes to being baptized as a believer in Christ. You'll say yes to join the fellowship of this wonderful church. Or maybe when the amen is said today and you walk out one of these doors or you log off your computer or television or whatever it may be, you will say for the first time maybe in your life, for the first time in years of your life, you are spiritually free in life. be an amazing thing to happen in your life. Here's what I know in this service, those watching. I realize today there are people... You would give everything you have. Everything you have if you could just find freedom in life. Because I realize there are many people in this room and watching. You've been carrying around baggage in your life for a long, long time. What does James say here? He's talking about here about do not murder, do not commit adultery. Well, if you've broken one of the commandments, you've broken them all. And so he says, you're guilty, you've sinned. He makes that clear. And then he goes on to say down here, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But then he says this, mercy. God's mercies are new every morning. When you opened your eyes this morning, you realized you could see and you could hear. You were breathing, you had life. That's the mercies of God to you this morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God in your life. Then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's freedom, spiritual freedom. I would imagine today, here's how many of us are trying to go along in life. We start picking up baggage in life. We start going along in life and maybe I'm carrying around depression in my life. Just emotionally, it's tough. Have some good days, then there are days where it just seems like the world is crashing in around me. God, how am I going to make it? Everything seems to be blue and dark. God, I don't want to keep wrestling with depression. How can I be free of that? But we carry that baggage around. All ages as well. Battling depression day after day after day. Maybe we find ourselves going along in life and just because of life circumstances, then we, we pick up anger. And God, I'm carrying around anger. I'm just angry at people. 
I can just sense it in my spirit, my attitude. I'm just angry at people. I'm angry at the world, angry at circumstances. Sometimes even angry at God. Nothing seems to go my way in life. Everyone else gets all the breaks in life, but not me. And if you're not careful, folks, you'll go around day after day, week after week, month after month, just carrying around anger in your life. God, I'm just carrying it around, carrying around baggage in life. Then you keep going around in life and then you find yourself saying, well, anxiety. Anxiety is a real issue for a lot of us in life. Anxious about life, anxious about the future, anxious about what I'm going to do in life. Anxious whether they love me or not, like me or not. Anxious where I'm going to be accepted or not. Just anxious. Anxiety affects kids, students, adults. Here we are just carrying around all this baggage in life. And then we come to a point and we think, God, how much more baggage can I carry? And then so we find a way to to put maybe things together as much as we can. And we start carrying. So we try to get this one. We get a heavier bag. And maybe at this point we're dealing with resentment and unforgiveness. There's just somebody who's wounded us, hurt us in life. We're just angry with, we're resentful to, and we have just never forgiven that person in life. What do we do? We just keep carrying baggage around. Day after day, week after week, month after month, just carrying it around. And then fear. God, I'm just afraid of the present. I'm afraid of the future. I'm just afraid in life. Just live in fear, unhealthy fear. It's just baggage we're carrying around. A lot of stuff. And then James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Freedom. Then you look at it and say, but how could I be free? Let me give you these words. Let me give you these three. Number one, admit. How many in this room today just need to admit? You've never given your life to Christ. You've delayed a spiritual decision. You've put it off. You haven't been living obedient to Christ. You've not been in a word. You've not been praying. You've not been worshiping the way God wants you to worship. You just need to admit today your life is not where God wanted your life to be. Just admit that. Word number two is agree. You just agree. You agree. Agreement is confession. You just agree with God. That's what you're doing. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. You agree with God. God, I, God, I agree with you. I, I'm battling depression. God, anger is ruling my life. God, I'm so anxious. God, I'm resentful and I have unforgiveness toward another person. And God, fear is dominating my life. I get up afraid, I go to bed afraid. God, fear is so real to me. You just admit it, you agree, you agree with God, this is a part of your life. And then number three, you come to a point of accept. What do you accept? What about accepting the grace of God what about accepting the love of God what about accepting the truth of God what about accepting the forgiveness of God here's what happens as you go along in your life and you start realizing God I I admit this 
God, I agree with you. And God, I accept. And here's what happens. God, I accept your grace in my life. God, I accept your love that's unconditional, that never ends. And God, I accept truth because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And God, I accept your forgiveness. And when you do those things, here's what happens. I put down depression because he set me free. I put down anger because he set me free. I put down anxiety because he set me free. I put down resentment and unforgiveness because he set me free. I put down fear because he set me free. And then all of a sudden you realize I am free. I'm not carrying this baggage around anymore. I am free in Jesus. I'm free in him. I'm free in him. Folks, that's how amazing the grace of God is, the love of God, the truth of God, the forgiveness of God. And I just want to challenge you. Put the baggage of life down. Stop carrying it around. Find freedom and victory in Jesus. There's a song I've been worshiping to this week. It's just been playing over and over again even in my ear, ear pods that I have and other ways. It's just about the, the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Folks, the world will put the baggage on you, but Jesus will set you free. That's who he is. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break. Any addictions in this room, any addictions for those who are watching that you need Almighty God to break in your life so you can be free, the name of Jesus will do that. Declaring there's hope and there's freedom. I speak Jesus. Because here the song goes on. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Folks, there are some people, you don't know what life is. You've not been experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised. Trust him. Give him your life. Experience abundant, overflowing, joy-filled life in the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. I speak Jesus to you. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. To every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. What an incredible incredible word I want us to bow together and we're going to have a time of invitation today all the haves and have not showed up in the assembly together uh, sure the church they were showing some favoritism and partiality and James said you shouldn't be doing that because you need to remember the Savior's favor in your life because you're not saved because of your own merit or your goodness. You're saved because of Jesus giving his life and shedding his blood and dying for you and because of God's grace. And then he says, you can be free in life. Now, I want to encourage you in the room of watching. Depression, anger, 
anxiety, resentment, unforgiveness, fear. There's so many more that you could list. If you're dealing with those, let go of the baggage today and find freedom in Jesus in your life. He come to set you free. If you need to give your life to Christ, I want you to I want to encourage you. Step out from where you're going to stand in a moment. Walk down one of these aisles and say, I need to be saved today. You need to follow Christ in baptism to be obedient. Step out, come down one of these aisles and say, listen, I don't want to obey next weekend. I want to obey today. I want to say yes to Jesus right now. You want to join the fellowship of this church? Walk down this morning right now and just say, I want to be obedient to Christ. I want to be a part of this church. God's moving in this church, and I want to be a part of what God is doing. Or you just say, I'm tired of carrying this baggage around. I've been doing it for weeks, months, or years of my life, and I'm tired of that. Our pastoral team is going to be here. We're going to have prayer folks on the side as well. We want to pray with you and celebrate with you, but help you find freedom and and life and a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, you can comment to us where where you're watching at. You can email us. We'll respond to you as well. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to be free because we speak the name of Jesus. Now, Heavenly Father, Invitations aren't for our egos. Invitations are invite people to experience life in Jesus. And so, Father, right now, I pray in this room and those watching, there would be people saved. There'd be people obedient in baptism. There'd be people saying yes to church affiliation and membership. There'd be people putting down baggage. And they could list what that baggage is and walk out of this room, log off today and say, finally, on this Sunday, I am free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we speak Jesus. And Father, this is for your glory. We make no apologies asking people to come to Jesus. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us and setting us free on this wonderful day of worship together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together. I speak Jesus. We're here. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads. We want you to know Christ, and we want you to live free and leave free. You come today in obedience to Jesus. Let's sing together.